Return to the Gospel of Luke this evening. Luke chapter 14, the text that was read. And verse 16, text. Then said he unto them, A certain man bade a great supper, and bade many. This evening I will be bringing a gospel message entitled, Gospel Excuses. Two parables are taught in Luke chapter 14. If you're taking this chapter from the top, two parables are taught in the home of a Pharisee who invited Jesus to eat bread. We all know from children that parables are earthly historical stories with gospel meaning. I heard this from elementary school where Head teacher who was a lay reader at the church next door, Anglican Church, Mr. Arthur Smith. Um, I don't know if Jackie remember him living there as Road. Arthur Smith's son, Cammy Smith, used to play for the West Indies cricket team and then manage. Um, but he taught us that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and he was correct uh, for an unconverted man. But two of them are taught in the context here. The first parable the Lord spoke was to the invited guests who sat with him at table. We read in verse 7 and 8, he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, And thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. Of course, in those days when there's a wedding, their wedding would last a period of time, maybe up to a week. And you had to book a room in one of the inns. Um, you see some of those weddings up to today where the, the wedding is planned and you have to get, you know, I think quite often you had one of those weddings, you had to get to Long Island like three days before and book a hotel. And, but it was similar, but the Pharisees would get the most expensive suites, obviously. And this is what Jesus is addressing. Here we see that people are more event-related than spiritually inclined. People would make ready for such things. And up to today, people, or people, church people, are more event-related than they are spiritually related. They would be timely, they would be, they would be anxious for, for, for earthly events. And, and this is what Jesus is bringing out here in this first parable. But the Pharisees sought the best seats in the house when invited to these earthly celebrations. They viewed themselves as entitled the special privileges. But spiritually speaking, they thought they were, they were deserving of God's special favor. But they had no interest in the gospel that was provided by God. And the Lord took this occasion of an earthly invitation to this Pharisee's house and turn it into a gospel message. 
You see how wise the Lord, he used the event, that he, the parable, because he had a broader uh, lesson in mind to teach you and to teach me and to teach those that were seated at the table. He taught a lesson, do not take the high places because one more honorable than you may be invited and you may be asked to take a lower place. What he was implying is the time was coming when Israel would no longer be privileged. The time was at hand when people from all nations will be called to the marriage supper. And this is the first parable. The second parable is of our interest this evening, which is about gospel excuses. It was really prompted by the statement, one who sat at me spoke in verse 15. You look at verse 15 where Brother Mason began to read. And when one of them that sat at me with him heard these things, this expounding of the parable, first parable, he said unto him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now this guy seemed to have an understanding that the Lord was speaking of the kingdom of God. It's very interesting. But this statement forms the context of the second parable, the parable of the great supper. And we will share from this parable this evening um, three headings. One, the free offer of the gospel. Two, general response to the gospel and three, the irresistible grace of the Lord Jesus. These three headings is what I will address. First, the free offer of the gospel. I, I read verse 16 already, but I'll read verse 17 here where this man that made this great supper sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden Come, for all things are now ready. Now the primary objective of this parable is to show the hardness of the hearts of the Jewish people against the Lord Jesus. They were the first to receive the gospel call. You remember what Stephen said? Which of, which of God's servants, the prophets, have you not killed? Which of them? All of them. It, it shows the hardness of, of the Jewish people toward the gospel. But in the church era, the same hardness prevails. The, the free offer of the gospel is mostly rejected because of man's hardened heart. In verse 16, the certain man who made the great supper is the Lord. He made the supper. It is the great supper because he's a great king. The verse says that he invited many. The Bible says in the companion passage in Matthew 22, that many are called, but few are chosen. The servant whom the great man sends is the church, the organized church, who is equipped with the gifts of the Spirit to call men, 
the Christ. And we are considering missions the next few months. And we should also pay attention to this passage. You know, the Bible says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! And let him that hear us say, Come! And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now, some denominations like this word, whosoever will. But who will? Out of the world, out of the church, who will come? Who has a will to come? None. Unless God qualifies them. The spirit and the church calls in unity, the bride, the church. Well, these words show the free offer of the gospel. Christ is the one who made this great supper. It's a great supper because salvation is a great salvation. And it is called so great salvation. Nothing in this world really can be considered or should be considered greater than salvation. Nothing. It is the Lord who invites men, women, boys, and girls to come to this great supper. The word servant that we see here in verse 17 is in the singular and rightly so. Though the Lord utilizes servants, plural, to make the free offer of the gospel, Invariably, the Holy Spirit is the one that calls us. He's the, he's the servant in the ultimate sense of the word who calls us. When one resists the free offer of the gospel, they are not resisting men. They're resisting the Holy Spirit. That's why Stephen said, you stiff neck, you always resist the Holy Spirit, just like your father's. Stephen was killed, of course. He was martyred. The text says all things are now ready. And this means that no one can add or take away from the gospel. All things are ready because the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, it's a complete gospel. And when you go with the gospel, you better go with a complete gospel. You must teach the wrath of God and you must teach the grace of God. A complete message. Too many missionaries go with an incomplete message. All things are now ready. We cannot add to it. We sing the hymn this evening. Come for the, the, the feces spread. Heart to the call. Come to the living bread offered to all. Come to his house of wine. Low on his breast recline. All that he has is thine. Come, sinner, come. Word come. Five times in that, in that stanza. Great hymns of the faith are sung to encourage us to come. Sermons are preached to call us to come. And no one, not, not a single one of you, can say that you were never invited to come. Not a single one of you, even the smallest child that is bawling in there, is invited to come. 
This is a free offer of the gospel. It's, uh, though the gospel offer is free, the gospel is not cheap. And I have to say that the Lord himself said, said to come. If any man thirst, let him come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The great Savior, keep calling men to come. Free offer of the gospel. Election doesn't save anyone. People, we talk about election, but election doesn't save a person. As a matter of fact, it is only after a person becomes saved, comes to Christ, that they will know that they came, they'll know why they came. And the only reason they, they, had, they, they came to Christ is because Christ drew them to himself. And when you look at yourself and your stubbornness and your rebellion and your sin, you wonder why did I come to Christ and most of my loved ones may be in religion but are still in rebellion. If you indeed have come to Christ by the means he has provided, why? Why am the only one in, in my family? Why my uncle and his aunt, nice people, lost? Why? Why? And we should be thankful and praise God for his sovereignty. So that's the free offer, the gospel. But we come to the second head, the general response to the gospel. I say general response because it is general. Verse 18, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, the servant, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs to go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Now these words are a true reflection of the general consensus of men toward the free offer of the gospel. The verse says, they all with one consent began to make excuse. Now the Lord isn't pulling any punch. He says, they all. Jew and Gentile alike, they are all the same. By nature, no one has time for God. No one. John said in the gospel that he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came to his own and his own received him not. And don't misinterpret this verse like so many people do. That Jesus came to the Jews and the Jews received him not. That's wrong. He came to the human race. And the human race received him not. Not a single one received him. By nature, no one would receive Christ. And then we consider many people today in churches and in congregations... It is sad that no one seems to be eager to come to the Savior. Take the smallest child. How oh, you have to be drilling in them. Get ready for church. Come with me. You're going with me. Think of it. Think of your children. Think of how quick they're ready when they go to the park. Think of them. And it is, it is getting worse and worse 
by the day uh, as, as the end draws near. We don't know when the Lord will step in and we shouldn't try to know the day or the hour, but we should see the atmosphere in our church and in people and especially in children today. When I was young, I, I said, I used to like to go to church as lost as I was. I liked my friends that was going. I was, as a boy, brother Deperdine, I was in the Anglican church. I was confirmed in the Anglican church when I was like 13 years old. Um, but I was a lost man. But I learned after that my great grandmother was a true Christian. And obviously God heard her prayers. I don't know, I was told this by my uncle. You sound just like my grandmother. And apparently God touched her life. I, I, I don't, and, 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 and sometimes in a generation, uh, a child may become converted. And, and that conversion is the fruit of someone else's prayers. And that's why, Pat, you shouldn't give up in praying for Jenna and showing her Christ. I was way back a few days ago. But the general response to people is they will not come. The excuses of men are not necessarily impolite. But excuses amount to one word, and that is rejection of Christ. The first excuse does not make sense at all. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excuse. You normally see ground before you buy it. You don't buy property without seeing what you're buying. So this, this excuse is ridiculous, but the Lord is showing the, ex, the silly excuses that some of you make as though he's gonna buy it. The excuse has no basis. Excuses amount to the same thing, a love for the world more than a love for God. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses 18 and 19, the Lord warned his people when he was bringing them into the promised land saying, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God for it is he that giveth the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. God give us these things so that he can, he can establish his covenant. And it shall be, if thou at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods, money, education, pleasure, and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. What happened? What happened to God's first covenant people? What happened? You see them walking up and down Crown Heights with these black clothes, and you see that they're steep in unbelief. And I say this because the United States of America has made many people worshipers of things. People come from the Caribbean, from churches that supposed to be Bible churches, and they get lost in the shuffle. Somebody was asking me, I think it was Pastor Scholar who may be even listening to me, 
about someone that came from the church over there. Where are they? I said, I see them for a few weeks and they're gone. They're no longer coming. The United States of America has made many people idolaters. And, and it's, it is only because idolatry never left them to begin with. The first excuse in verse 18 gave priority over the temporal rather than the eternal supper provided by Christ. And you should listen to these things carefully because some of them relate to some of us here tonight. Don't think you are excluded. Don't think I'm talking about back then. I'm talking about now. The second excuse, verse 19, and another say, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I got to go to prove them. I pray thee have me excuse. This is equally foolish as the first one. You do not buy a yoke of oxen without proving them. A yoke is from two up, obviously, two or more oxen that are harnessed together for plowing. Only a fool would buy a pig in a bag. Would you buy six cows and don't know if five of them got broken feet? You don't buy a fleet of taxis to run and don't check the transmission. But I'm making a point. And some people would do this, um, Tyler. You, you just get your license. You don't buy a vehicle and you don't test run it or get a mechanic to go with you. This guy says, I'm buy a yoke of oxen, I'm gonna go and try them out. Liar, liar, house on fire. These are the excuses some of you make when it comes to faithfulness and the gospel. I believe the Lord in this parable is teaching really us the, the, the folly of human excuses toward the free offer of the gospel. Verse 20 continues, another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He wasn't polite like the other two. He didn't say, please help have me excused. I can't come. Just like that. This third excuse is a noble one because this one cites the scriptures. This one exploited the word of God. Deuteronomy 24, 5. When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war. Neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home one year and shall cheer up his wife, which he have taken. Now my wife don't need any cheering up. And some of us that was married a long time still got this excuse, my wife, my wife, my wife, my wife. He cites the scriptures. And excuses are very common today and amount to the same thing. The neglect of commitment to the gospel, whether to salvation or to service, because the two goes together. The Lord deserves preeminence because he created us. And second, if we are believers, it is he who redeem us. Notice some things I said about those who made excuse. I said the first two were polite. I pray thee, have me excuse. 
excuse. The last one who married a wife think he was privileged. He deserved it. He did not even bother to be polite to his master. He simply said, I cannot come. And this is how it is with some people. As though they are entitled to something that they can't submit to the gospel. This is arrogance. And these excuses in Luke 14 first applied to national Israel. They received the gospel first. But these excuses apply to the church today, those under the gospel. The gospel not only calls us to come, the gospel and the Lord Jesus calls us to go, to, 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 to work, brethren. So we saw the free offer of the gospel call, general response of man, we come to our final head and we will get there this evening. The irresistible grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 21 through 24, the irresistible grace. I'll explain that to you in the next few minutes. Verse 21 says, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, Go quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bringing hither the poor and the mean and the whole and the blind. Well, there are two things here that needs clarification quickly. The reason why I said that the servant who was sent with the gospel is the church is because the servant is accountable to his master. And so is the believer. We are accountable. Here the servant rightly showed his Lord these things. And they also give us a lesson on prayer and constant prayer and regular intercessory prayer on behalf of gospel laborers. Now how many men are going to show up to pray? How many and how many would pray when they're called upon to pray? Sometimes the older guys or the more experienced guys wait, 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 and nobody gets up to pray. I wonder about some of you. I wonder if you've got skeletons in your closet that you can't pray. I wonder about that, especially when it comes to missions. It gives a lesson on prayer, the servant came back. And the Bible says we are to make our supplications known to God. But Israel had many servants calling their people to repentance. What happened to them? They were rejected. You remember what God said to Isaiah? Go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of these people fat. Make their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes. And hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And convert and be healed. You see the gospel? You see the gospel, Nigel? The gospel do two things. 
It softens the heart or it hardens the heart. People think, I get, I get them already. Look at Pharaoh. Pharaoh was hearing the gospel. Let my people go. Let my people go that they may serve me, that they may worship me. He was hearing about worship. Except you want to see the plagues. He heard about the consequence for disobedience. That's the gospel. Another thing we should be careful about is what this text says. I said it were two. The master of the house being angry. I need to comment about this too. The Lord is never exasperated by man's rejection. The Lord is never angry because people reject the gospel. Because he knows what his gospel is intended to do. He's never angry. So don't ever think God is angry. The Bible says about Jesus, he will not be discouraged. He will not fail or be discouraged until he set judgment in the nations. But the Bible says that God in his wrath swore that some would not enter into his wrath. Is it it is God's nature to be a God of wrath. When God expresses wrath, it is part of his attributes. And sometimes God's wrath is on people sitting in the congregation and they don't even know because the Bible says, he that believeth on the Son have not have eternal life, but he who does not believe shall not see life because the wrath of God abides on him. It, it's like it's like a, a, a big um, iron, iron bar hanging over your head, ready to be released. The wrath of God abides, covers over them, and it is a very it's a very dangerous thing to neglect and to reject the gospel. But God is never exasperated like you and me. We get with our children. We're angry or even a preacher is he's, he's exasperated because nobody is listening. God is not like that. He's in control. Um, and we have, to be, we have to be vessels in his hands. Um, and, 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 and husbands and preachers, we have to exhibit the patience of God in these cases to reflect God's character. But the Bible does say that God swore in his wrath and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Um, he, would, he, would dish out, he would mesh out his wrath in judgment. The servant was resent with the invitation in verse 21. Let me read verse 21 to you of Luke chapter 14. Um, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the name and the hall and the blind. Verse 22, the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded and yet there's room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now I'm interested in this word, compel. 
them to come in. Uh, I can compel people to come to Christ, but they'll never come. The more we compel men, women, boys, and girls to come, they'll resist. But when God compels, when the Holy Spirit compels, you and I cannot resist his will. And this is why I say the irresistible grace of God is the Spirit of God that compels men to come. Favorite verse of mine in Psalm 100, thy people will be made willing in the day of thy power. And, and this, is, this, this is really a comfort that God can compel the sinner to come, but you and I can't do it. And when you look at the Apostle Paul, uh, a Pharisee, how did he come? He was compelled to come. He was shown off of his horse. Uh, when you look at others who are genuinely converted, they were compelled. They, when you are compelled, you cannot do anything else but come to Christ in faith. Because nobody, nobody can resist the irresistible call of God to salvation. You, you, you God will win. And when you look at all the saints, uh, God won the day. And, and this is a glorious aspect of the gospel. But you're still responsible to come. And you should be still exercised to come. Um, but the Savior makes a solemn threat that I would not want to overlook in verse 24. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. You know, it's a terrible thing to neglect the gospel. Now this is a figure of speech that refers to the Lord's coming. None of those men shall that are bidden shall taste of my supper. It refers to the Lord's coming in Revelation 21, verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and, and this is where this um, this this imagery of the of the of the wedding supper it, it began with Jesus going to a natural uh, wedding supper apparently, and it concludes with the Lord Jesus telling a parable about the great supper. But not only men are bidden to come; none of those men who were bidden shall taste of my supper. It's not only men that are bidden to come, all people are bidden to come. Women, boys, girls are bidden to come. But rejection of the gospel, this is what would happen. None of those which were bidden and didn't come shall taste of my supper. And by the way, to taste is to taste the gospel, to taste the mystery of the gospel. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord here, the Lord sends his church. This is our parable. He sends his church with the free offer of the gospel. His people, which is the church, 
And we must not think that the free offer of the gospel is for people out of the church. The free offer of the gospel is for the poor and the man and the whole and the blind. They are found in the church. All of these words describe people in the church. Not necessarily out of the church. And there are yet many churches and congregations today that have that is loaded. As a matter of fact, some congregations don't even have a single person that is saved. Some churches are like that. Not one is saved. Even the preacher is not saved. And a lot of the reason why the people are not saved in the church is why the pastor is not saved. It is, it is highly likely that a lot of churches are like that. A lot of pastors are preachers going out, going out there preaching for money. They're not, they're not believers. But if you have a pastor that loves the Lord, you should be very happy about that. Because chances are, if he loves the Lord, he's going to love his people. And if he loves his people, he's going to give them the gospel. He's going to bring them the gospel. He's not going to be afraid of them. And that's love. Yet many churches, sad to say, are just like that. Let us not forget that we are we are either invited to come or we are sent to tell others to come. Let us not forget the participants in this parable. We know that the Lord Jesus is the certain man that made the great wedding supper. We know this. But there are two other important figures in this parable that we shouldn't overlook. The servant who is sent and those who are invited to come. And you and I are either in one of the two. Many of us feel that we have believed on Christ. That we have come to Christ for salvation. Many of us feel this way. But this is, this is good. I, I can't fault this. It's all well and good. But the Apostle Paul said this in the book of Titus. To teach. Tell Titus to teach this. He said in Titus 3 verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Titus. That they which have believed in God. Might be careful. To maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto man. Titus, I know you're preaching the gospel of grace. I know you're there laboring in the word, but this one thing I want you to do is a faithful saying. And these things I will, and this is what Christ is saying, that thou affirm not every six months, but constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. You know why? Because people are not apt to maintain anything. The word careful, you know the word is an old-fashioned word. It means to be exercised, to be anxious, to be anxious, 
to be excited about something. I don't see a whole lot of excitement about maintaining good work. As I said, people are excited about already the baby shower. What are that? What is those things? What do those things have to do with me and the gospel? You can have them or you don't have them as far as I'm concerned. But people get excited about this. But Paul says, affirm constantly and teach that people get excited about maintaining good works. And good works, you know, what is good works? We have good works going on here. Every summer. And some of you live a distance. But as I said this morning, you think they're going to listen to that? You would drive to Pennsylvania to go to a party. Or Boston, Massachusetts. Or Connecticut. You would drive up there. But you can't come here and stand up there. As a matter of fact, we well, they got to let like come back, but they can do it. We plan, we, we plan to start going up by the junction, by Kings Plaza, downtown Brooklyn, Utica Avenue. Not one of you would show your face to encourage a deacon. Paul said to Titus, These things I will, that you affirm constantly. So I am doing what the Apostle Paul committed, commanded Titus to do. To affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be anxious, excited to maintain good works. And if I am a good minister, I will teach this. These things are good and profitable. Why are they profitable to all men maintaining good works? Because some might believe. Some might believe. You don't know. Some might believe. And we don't ever know. Um, so this is the text. It's a gospel message this evening. Gospel excuses. It's not only that many would not come. Gospel excuses is that many would not go with the gospel. Whether it be locally or wherever. But going with the gospel, witnessing the gospel, is part of the free offer of the gospel. Because having received the gospel, you want to offer the gospel freely to men. Freely you have received, freely you give. And I hope that these words that I share with you, maybe the last you would hear from me, would resonate in your heart. Because I'm not only preaching them, I really mean them. And I have and I and I and I I say them because I see what is going on in our church. And because I see, I will address them. And it's up to you to do whatever you want with the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks that you have given us this opportunity once again with this glorious message. Of salvation which we call the free offer of the gospel pray you help us to heed this call not only in obeying the gospel but in obeying the great commission we pray this in jesus name amen